0: So we here at Roots call ourselves a community of misfits. But what does that even mean? And how do we live that out? Recently, I've been drawn to this way of thinking about being a misfit. Misfits are those who resist mindless conformity, but embrace thoughtful formation. And this community is thoughtfully and intentionally formed. It was initially formed by a launch team led by a pastor named Tujer Tao back in 2014. From the very beginning, this church was intentionally created for those who feel like misfits. Tujer and other 1.5 and second generation Hmong Americans said that they didn't feel Hmong enough. And that they also didn't feel American enough. This experience is actually really common to a lot of communities, especially immigrant communities. Others said that they didn't feel religious enough, or secular enough. This community was created for people with complex identities, people who don't fit neatly into prescribed boxes. And that's a big part of what drew me and Oshida to this church. I'd almost given up on ministry after I had a very disappointing experience and some severe wounds, but this church gave me hope. Maybe there was a community that could hold our misfitness, and maybe we could provide that refuge for others. I recently found this post on Facebook. This was uh, this <laughs> yeah uh, this was written by um, the search committee, uh, the Roots Search Committee. And they were notifying everyone that, uh, that I'd been chosen as the candidate for pastor. And this was, it's, it's kind of hard to read because it's pretty small, but this was my message to the church. I wrote, hello Roots Covenant Church, my family and I are really excited to meet you all. Though I haven't met you yet, I've prayed for you. I heard about the vision for Roots years ago, even before you were formed as a community. And I was inspired by the foundation that was laid and by the unique expression of Christ's body that you are. I had a feeling God would do something unique in and through you. I just didn't know that I would get to witness it up close and personal. I'm a fellow misfit finding identity in Jesus, and that's what has grounded my life since I was a teenager. And that is not only the kind of community that I tried to form as a pastor, that is also the kind of community that I want to be a part of. I'm so glad that's who you are. Now, I've spoken to many of you, maybe not all of you, but I've spoken to many of you. And that's also what drew you to this church. I've heard similar stories. Many of you have told me that you weren't comfortable conforming to the norms in other church spaces. Many of you, like me, have eclectic theological views um, that puts you at odds in some church communities. I get that. And I think that what makes this community special is that we don't begrudge people for having their particularities. We're a community of misfits. So as we kick off this new series for Epiphany, called Story and Song, Listening to Our History, Discerning Our Future, we're going to explore what makes this community unique. What are our particular values and theological convictions? And we're also going to explore the Moravian tradition, which is likely unfamiliar to many of us. It was pretty unfamiliar to me until a few years ago. It was like a footnote in church history. <laughs> and so we're going to learn more about who the Moravians are and what they believe. But as we'll see, there's a lot of resonance, a lot of correspondence to our, between our quirky community and the Moravian tradition, starting with an emphasis on unity with diversity. But before we dive into our text for this morning, would you pray with me for the Spirit's work of illumination? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, you are the one who distributes diverse gifts to God's people. And those gifts aren't merely the things that we do, but the people who you are calling together to forge a community. Help us to see that we are gifts to one another and that you are the giver. Help us to see the ways you are knitting our hearts together so that we can be a witness to your love. And may your word be like a seed that finds good soil. May it take up root and bear good fruit, fruit that will last. And may the words of my lips and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer. Everyone said amen. All right, I've asked Mascarum, who's here on break from school, uh, Xavier University in New Orleans. Woo! I've asked her to be our scripture reader this morning. Would you mind coming up and reading this passage for us?
1: Right, Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Gal- Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repeat, repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, He saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen come follow me Jesus said and I will send you out to I will send you out to fish for people at once they left their nets and followed him when he had gone a little further he saw James son of Zabadi and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets without a delay he called them and they left their father Zabadi in the boat with the hired men and he followed him. Chapter 2 verses 13 through 17. Once again Jesus went out beside the lake a large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along he saw Levi son of Alpa, sitting at the tax collectors booth. Follow me Jesus told him and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with them, and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teacher of the law, who were Pharisees. Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinner and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who needs a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Chapter 3, verses 13 through 19. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zabadi, and his brother John. To them, he gave them the name. Sons of Thunder. Sons of Thunder. Yeah. Sons of of Thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Apollos, Thaddeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the Zealot, and Judas. Iscariot, who betrayed them.
0: Good job. Those are hard words. Thank you so much. Some of those names are difficult. For, like, on the spot, that was good. <laughs> like, very on the spot. Um, so I've been learning recently to lead with vulnerability, and so I need to be a little vulnerable with y'all. Um, I've been watching The Chosen. Now, normally... Uh, Like, I can't stand Christian television. Christian television is usually really, really bad. Um, But I really like this show. Um, I think it's well-written. I think it's well-acted. I really like that Jesus is played by an Egyptian actor and not a white guy with a tan. Um, But it's really the emphasis of the show that I want to point to here. The Chosen, as the, the name implies, is... It centers around the cast of characters that surround Jesus. Now, of course, Jesus is the main character, but the show goes to great lengths to dramatize what it may have been like to follow Jesus, be one of his disciples in that time. Uh, And I love that the show centers female disciples uh, as they serve and spread the gospel alongside the male disciples. I love that it highlights uh, how new and confusing this gospel that Jesus was preaching was was to everyone. And in fact, I love the fact that Matthew's character is portrayed as being on the autism spectrum. This, this um, creates challenges for Matthew, but it also gives him skills and insights that are really helpful to the chosen, the, the disciples. Um, but the main thing I want to highlight from this passage is that Jesus gathers misfits. Did you notice that? The people that Jesus chose in those passages that we just heard They were a bunch of misfits. Jesus didn't go to Jerusalem and find the most promising young rabbis. He didn't find the most gifted scholars or scribes. He didn't go to Qumran, where there was a very devout community that were ready to take up arms and fight for the Messiah. Jesus didn't choose the most pious or the most educated or the most heroic people. He intentionally called a community of misfits together. And this is perhaps best illustrated by the combination of Matthew, the tax collector, and Simon, the zealot. If you know anything about tax collectors and zealots, you know that they do not get along. (laughs) Tax collectors were tools of the empire. They betrayed their own people and exploited them for profit. And zealots were more than willing to, to use violence to accomplish what they viewed was God's will, which was to assassinate tax collectors. Jesus' gospel of the kingdom of God breaking in brought together Matthew and Simon the Zealot to repentance and to a new way of life, and it turned them into brothers. Even the apostle Paul, who had a prestigious religious pedigree didn't believe that he was chosen because he deserved to be chosen. No, exactly the opposite. He considered himself the least likely to be chosen. He called himself the least of all God's people and unworthy to be called an apostle. And that's because Paul understood the way that God chooses. God chose Israel, not because Israel was the biggest nation or the most pious nation. No, God specifically tells them, they were the least nation and the most stiff-necked nation. This is God's M.O. God chooses the disinherited, the overlooked, and the underestimated. God chooses the misfits to show the world God's glory and God's power. This is my translation of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26-31. through Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish ones of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak ones of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly ones of the world and the despised ones and the ones who were nobodies to shut the mouths of the ones who think they're somebodies. And so no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The community of Christ is a community of lowly and despised nobodies whom God has called to become holy and righteous somebodies. I'm sure I don't have to tell you that that's not always how church is, is it? (laughs) Sometimes... Religious faith is used as a weapon and not a refuge. Too often, religious faith is used to insulate the wealthy and the powerful from criticism and accountability. Too often, religious faith divides more than it unites. Religious faith can be structured in such a way that there are clear insiders and outsiders. And that it's not always just beliefs that does this either. Sometimes it's just the way we look. I'll tell you a story. Um, when I lived in LA, a church opened up down the street from our church. And one day I was walking down the street and all of them filed out of church because the church had just ended. And everybody who walked out of that church looked like they were a supermodel. I was like, oh my gosh, like just one after the other. I was like, and so I started calling it Supermodel Church. And I thought to myself, this is two, maybe three blocks from Skid Row. Imagine if somebody had just spent the night on the sidewalk and they walked into that church. How would they feel? Would they feel like they belong? Would they feel like, I'm in the wrong, I, I just stepped into the wrong place? Sometimes it's just the way that we organize ourselves that makes insiders and outsiders. But to be the kind of community that is a refuge for misfits... To be that kind of community that's hospitable and affirming of all people, it takes intentionality. It doesn't happen by accident. There's a theological conviction that makes that kind of community possible. It's the conviction that diversity builds strength. I got ahead of myself. The Brene Brown quote is for later. <laughs> it's the conviction that diversity builds strength. It's a theological conviction that we can be our full selves. Everything God has made us to be and still be loved and belong in the family of God. It's the theological conviction that what unites us isn't a list of doctrines that we affirm or how good we look or how how dressed up we can get on Sundays. What unites us is our allegiance to Jesus, the truly human one. Ray Brown is quoted as saying, true belonging doesn't require us to change who we are. It requires us to be who we are. This is something that is true of our church, and this is something that is true of the Moravian tradition. Moravians actually have a way of thinking about unity and diversity that goes back hundreds of years, and it's still powerfully applicable for our lives today. For hundreds of years, Moravians have been guided by these words, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, love. Now, I'll grant you that a lot of denominations say they affirm this. But I can tell you from personal experience, they affirm this to an extent. But there's usually strong caveats to that. Where the rubber meets the road is what you put in the essentials category. That's where the rubber meets the road. Moravians consider six things essential. Three are about who God is and how God's reign is at work among us. And three are about how we respond to God. The first three essentials are God creates and creation is good. God redeems. And God sustains, or God blesses. Are we all in agreement so far? (laughs) The next three, oh, the next three correspond to this verse. And you're familiar with this verse. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Now Moravians rearrange these for a reason. For Moravians, the the three essential responses to who God is and how God works Our faith, love, and hope. The reason for this is it orients us to time. Faith is our historic heritage. We are given our allegiance, we have given our allegiance to Jesus, and we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses who have given their allegiance to Jesus. So faith is historical in its orientation. Love is our present calling. We are commanded right now, in every moment, to love others as Jesus has loved us. And hope is future-oriented. It is a vision. It is a participation in a reality that has not fully arrived yet. For Moravians, the essentials are God creates, God redeems, God sustains. We have faith, we love, and we hope. What makes this framework conducive to unity with diversity, is what Moravians do not place in the essentials category. Have you noticed? There's a lot that is not in that category. For those things that are not in the essentials category, Moravians have a second category called ministerials. Ministerials are that which God has given us so that we can live as followers of Christ. Ministerials have been called sacred tools given by Christ and the Holy Spirit to lead us to what is essential. They are sacred not in and of themselves, but because of the essential things to which they lead and direct us. You following? This categorization of things, like communion and baptism, as ministerials and not essentials, means that we can be united with people who don't practice those things the way that we do. That's really important, because you know they fought wars over that. People died over that. And, and Moravian said, we don't think that's God's will, that people should die over how you practice baptism or how you practice communion. This categorization of the Bible as a ministerial and not an essential means that we don't have to defend a wooden theory of inerrancy that we can't really explain or can't really defend. It means that we can join together with people who interpret the Bible differently than we do. This is already a brilliant theological system that facilitates unity with diversity. But it gets even better. Moravians have a third category that facilitates even more unity with diversity. Their third category is called incidentals. Incidentals include the ways in which we do some things of the ministerials. Like incidentals vary over time from place to place. There is much diversity in the the incidentals throughout the worldwide unity and throughout other traditions. Incidentals have specific customs in the church that can be changed according to time and circumstance. Incidentals can be beautiful reflections of the diversity within the church but they should never prevent us from focusing on what's essential. An example of an incidental is how the Bible is translated. An example of incidental is how we worship on a Sunday morning. A lot of this is cultural. A lot of this is based on where you live, based on how you grew up. This is another brilliant theological innovation. That was created at a time in Europe when so called Christian nations were killing each other over this stuff. It's also important because we are an intentionally multi ethnic and multicultural fellowship. We believe that we are called to be witnesses to the defeat of the powers of racism and xenophobia. And to do that, we have to join together with people who have different ethnic and cultural backgrounds. That's important. One of my heroes of the faith is Dr. Richard Twist. Dr. Richard Twist came to faith uh, as an adult, and he grew up Lakota Sioux uh, on the Rosebud Reservation. And when he came to faith, he joined an evangelical church. And an evangelical pastor said to him, don't worry about being an Indian, Richard, just be like us. And for eight years, he tried his best to be like a white evangelical. But this is what he says in his book, One Church, Many Tribes. He says, For eight years I lived the Christian faith, Christian life, as it was culturally modeled for me by non-native friends and Christian brethren. I have since found that this way of life, I have since found this way of life to be less than who I am and much less than what the Lord wants me to be. Richard Twist also said that missionaries equated Christianity with Western culture and its apparent superiority over other cultures. A supposition not necessarily based on truth, but on the progress of industry, science, and commerce. Clearly they believed the West was civilized and the rest was primitive. This theological categorization of cultural practices as incidentals, it provides a basis for dethroning Western culture as presumptively superior to all other cultures. Thank you, Renee. (laughs) And it provides a basis for honoring all cultural practices as legitimate ways of expressing the Jesus way. Now, I'm not saying that early Moravians always got this right. In my experience, Moravians are the first to admit that they did not. But I do want to note that Moravian missionaries developed the first European and native settlements here in North America, joint settlements together. And early Moravians were also pioneers of racial inclusion and integration in their churches, even though they weren't noted abolitionists. So I believe that this framework facilitates the honoring of our full selves. We can say that we are united in the essentials and diverse in our expression of the ministerials and the incidentals. This has a way of of converging Roots' ethos with a tradition that goes back hundreds of years. But the facilitation of unity with diversity goes even deeper than this. Early Moravians were pioneers of congregational singing. Listen to this. What is interesting about Moravian hymnody is the emphasis on four-part harmony. Even the hymns of our Moravian forebearer, John Huss, have come to us in four-part settings. Singing in four parts represents community and diversity at the same time, a hallmark of the Moravian church. Four-part harmony represents the blending of different voices into one musical statement. The entire community of faith is joined as one in lifting up the prayers of the people in a setting where each voice complements the others. Unlike unison singing, where everyone sings the melody, four-part harmony blends together different expressions of the same thought to add depth and color to the final prayer. Unison singing can imply that we are all to be the same. But four-part harmony shows how differing expressions can enhance one another. For Moravians, congregational singing facilitates a theological conviction. That although we have differences, it is Christ who unites us, and the differences can be texture that brighten our witness. So I've asked Julia and Nathan to lead us in a song that is a, a, a traditional Moravian hymn that really speaks to this theological conviction. It's called join we all in one accord. So if you'll stand with me, we will literally join in one accord. (laughs) Let me say this. Let me say this. You do not need to know if you are alto, soprano, tenor, or bass. Some of us will be some of each. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not playing it on the piano, so I'm only going be playing those four parts for you to hear. Maybe you'll hear me sing. ancestors, God of our spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers, as we enter into this discernment process, we pray that you would guide us by your spirit. Would you give us insight? Would you give us longing to be part of your global, multicultural, multiethnic, and diverse body of Christ? Would you call us into the great tradition? Would you call us to be rooted and established in love? Would you call us to find our theological home? I pray for each and every one here that they um, they would sense your love and sense your drawing, your wooing, your calling to be disciples of Jesus and to be a part of a community of misfits. Thank you, Lord, for the diverse body of Christ. Thank you for every gift that you give to the body. Each one of us is a gift that we give, that we receive from you, and receive each other in love. So, Lord, I lift up this congregation to you and ask that you would join our hearts together in one accord. And all God's people said? Amen. Amen. All right, Pastor Rashida's back. She's going to tell us about what the kids learned